from the perspective of networking, the things that happen, you know, my whole philosophy is don't ask what's in it for me. I ask, how can I help you? Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. So let me tell you about Jeff Michelle. There is a lot to cover, and we do, during this podcast, so I'll try to make this introduction brief. He's dynamic, and I don't mean that in regard to being high energy or the life of a party. Rather, by the countless positive impact that he's had on the lives of so many people. You see... Jeff is a tireless worker with high empathy and a heart of gold that takes great pride in surrounding himself with top-shelf people and always trying to add value. He's also what's known as a giver, a key attribute of the super connector, and most likely the main ingredient to his success formula. Speaking of which, Jeff's an entrepreneur, sits on a bunch of boards, has written a few really good books, started a bunch of dinners and high-end networking groups, and is also the gentleman that sends out his daily word of the day, something that is read by thousands, myself included. Jeff shares with us some fascinating stories, the importance of active listening, his life philosophies and thoughts on trust, as well as how he's built a world-class Rolodex. There's a lot that we can all learn from Jeff, so I encourage you to turn the decibels up a little higher and enjoy my conversation with my friend, Jeff Michelle. Jeff, thank you for sure. coming. I, I will forever be appreciative to Jack Jeanette for making this introduction. Jack is great people, actually, and proven to be a connector. How do you know Jack? I met him through a really good friend of mine who uh, is in one of my businesses, and uh, we were hanging on the beach one day, and it was in the middle of this stuff I'm going through, and I just opened up about my life and just instantly connected with him. Just a really great guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been telling me about you for a long time. He's, you got to meet Jeff. You got to meet Jeff. You well, he's on my to... payroll. That's why. He's all right, good. I'd like to get on that payroll then too. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk later on. <laughs> all right, nice. So you're a very interesting guy and you have a lot of interesting friends and I'm sure you've got a lot of interesting stories. Any story in particular that you'd love to tell, share with us today? From the perspective of networking, the things that happen, you know, my whole philosophy is don't ask what's in it for me. I ask, how can I help you? And just over the years, I do that and without expectation. So you build goodwill and things just really neat happen. And I guess I told you the story about Signature Bank, which I, I, if you'd like, I'd be glad yeah, to share that story. It's a great story. And it's not so much of a networking story as to the point of when you do good things, nice things can happen. But I'm on the board of Signature Bank today which is pretty significant. Signature Bank is a highly regarded, incredible story. I mean, the bank has done so well. And uh, it's been around for a very short period of time. It's almost $50 billion in assets at this juncture. It started back in 2001. And prior to Signature existing, there was a bank in New York City by the name of Republic National Bank, which at the time was where I banked. 
and I had a young company. I was a young guy, not that old now, but I was younger then, of course. And uh, I would go to the bank and make my deposits myself because at the time we were a little company and I became friendly with my banker, a guy named Cliff. And over the years, I wasn't like a friend going to go hang out with him all the time, but I would go in and sit down and chat with him to see how things are going and just, you know, 15 minute conversation. Most of the time when I went to the bank for years. And then one day he's not there. And for an extended period of time, every time I went to the bank, he wasn't there to the point where I noticed it. And I walked over to the secretary pool and I said, where's Cliff? He's not been around. I said, oh, he had a tragedy in the family. I said, what happened? I said, well, we're not able to disclose it's personal. And I walked away and I said to myself, should I call him? I felt a little ill at ease and I didn't call. But lo and behold, short period of time goes by and he's back, maybe a month. And I, I see him sitting in his office and he's like, just a terrible expression on his face. He looked like he was beaten. And I said, Cliff, what happened? And he looks up and his eyes are teary. He gets up, closes the door, I sit down. And he tells me that his nephew and three other boys were driving across the Cross Island Parkway, lost control of the car, car hit the median, car went to a tree, car blew up, four boys were killed, unfortunately. And they were young. Not that anything could be worse than that, but his sister and brother-in-law, this was their only son, they were not doing well financially, their house isn't going into foreclosure. And my friend Cliff had to borrow from his IRA to pay for the funeral. and Just a horrible, horrible story. And as he's telling me this story, he's crying. Now, I guess the word empathy is something that we can all relate to. And I felt impacted just sitting across from him. And I looked at him, I have no idea I did what I did and why I did it. But I looked at him and I said, what's your sister's name? And he tells me, I said, what's your brother-in-law's name? And he tells me. And for whatever reason, no objective, no agenda, I went back to my office. I spent the next day and a half calling anybody I felt close enough to, sharing the story and asking them to write a check to this family. $25, $50, whatever it might be. We're helping a family. It's not some organization. And this is the most horrible thing. So I raised about $18,000 in a day and a half. Actually, I wrote a check myself, probably the largest one, but regardless. And I went back to the bank. I went into his office and I sat down. I looked at him. I said, I want you to do me a favor. I said, I want you to go back to your sister and brother, brother-in-law. And as dark as the clouds are, maybe a little glimmer of sunshine shines through. Maybe a little bit in that there's some decency in the world. And so here's what I did. And I put the checks on the table and he loses it. I mean, he breaks down. He gets up, I get up, he grabs me and he's shaking and I feel the tears from him on my cheek. And I I started to cry because it was such an emotional thing. I wound up leaving and some period of time goes by, I get a letter from his brother-in-law, like a beautiful letter. And that was that. Time goes by, the founder or owner of of, uh, Republic Bank dies in a fire in, in Paris, I believe it was. And the bank's up for play. HSBC comes along and buys the bank. Some time goes by, and as that, that process is happening, Cliff calls me and says, Jeff, Jeff, I need to get together with you. I need to talk to you. I, I, what's the matter? No, please, can we have lunch today? I said, okay, okay. We go to lunch with him. He says, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you tell me what the options are, what you're talking about? <laughs> so he tells me that the bank's been sold. HSBC's buying the bank. They offered him the biggest job. He's the lead banker in New York. He'll be making more money than he ever has. Or the executive team from Republic is leaving, and they're signing this brand new bank called Signature, and they want him to come along as the lead banker. And he doesn't know what to do. He's scared. New banks, startups, 95% fail. Here, I got that secure position. I, I look at him. I literally point my finger and I said, you're going to the new bank. You're going to the new bank. 
I said, look who's involved. You got all these major people, and here's an opportunity for you to get on the ground floor. I said, I started my, my company in a little box in an office with nothing, and I just kept going and going, and you know, I would not trade in being my own man, my own boss. And he did. Probably the best decision he ever made. So that was 2001. 2004, the bank goes public at $10 a share. And in 2006, and I'm banking there naturally, so and they're growing, they're doing really nicely. 2006, they're having issues with a major shareholder. They decide they're going to raise money. They were a $4 billion bank at the time, and they didn't have the clout on Wall Street that they have today. So they do an event at the Palace Hotel, and they invite all their clients, me being one of them, a few hundred people, to hear the story with the intention to raise money from their clientele to take out this investor. Hour and a half presentation, 300 people in the room, I'm there. Oh, by the way, I have one of, my, one of my rules. I have a few rules. Always, always ask the first question. You always ask the first question. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. So meeting goes on, hour and a half goes by, the meeting ends, 300 people in the room, president of, of the bank is on, on the desk, and he gets up and he looks at the room and he says, are there any questions? And I fly out of my chair, fly out of my arm. Now the president's name is Joe. Now Joe knew me. I forgot to mention that after I had that meeting with Cliff for lunch the first time, he wanted me to meet Joe. So we had another lunch with Joe and I convinced Cliff to go to the bank at that second meeting. So Joe knew me and now knew what I did. He knows I'm the networking guy. And in fact, my first book just came out, which is one phone call away. And it was on the Today Show. So I was getting a lot of notoriety. And he, you know, so I've stood out in his mind. So when he asked the first, by the way, when you ask the first question, make sure it's a good first question. So I fly out of the chair and he calls on me, Jeff, how are you? And I said, I'm doing great. How's Florida? Because he knows all about my life. It's doing great. And I said to him, let me ask you my question. And then you talk about Florida. Have you thought about opening a branch in Florida? You talk about expansion, what you can do for services. You know I'm down there. There are 300 people here in the room. I bet you there are a bunch of people in this room that have residences down there. You open a branch, let's call it in Bell Harbor. I'll bring you 100 clients because you know that I know everybody. The entire room turned around and looked at me. And he shot me down. He had no interest. Long and short of it, I go back to my office and Cliff calls me up. I'm with this guy. I want you to meet him. Arthur, this guy, Arthur comes to my office. He and I became good friends. We're doing business together. I, literally the next day, I'm in my elevator in a building. A woman gets in and says, you were at the Signature Bank meeting. You asked the first question. I heard you just had a book come out. And she said, my husband works at the Jericho branch. So it's so nice to meet you. A few days after that, I'm walking down Madison Avenue. I walk into the Charles Stewart shirt store. A guy comes over and taps me on the shoulder. Excuse me, you were at the Signature Bank meeting. You mentioned, you know, opening branch in Bell Harbor. I have a residence in Bell Harbor. I thought it was the greatest idea. And Joe just shot you down. I said, yes, I know. We chatted for a while. He gave me his card. I could reach out to this guy if I wanted to. We had a great conversation. Maybe a week later, Cliff calls me up and he says, listen, there's a corporate meeting at corporate headquarters. Joe asked me if you would go. It's a cocktail party. He wants to talk to you about something. I go to the cocktail party. I know a bunch of people there. I'm walking around. Joe pulls me outside. and says, listen, two board seats just became available. Senator D'Amato is taking one. We'd like you to take the other one. I stood by Needless to say, I took advantage of that. Hmm. Went on the board, which is extremely meaningful to me in a lot of ways. And it's been a great run. I've been on the board for 12 years. But after that, I said to myself, why did this opportunity happen? What was the reason that this very meaningful thing in my life occurred? And so I rewound the tape. So let me go back to the thing about asking the first question. When you ask the first question, you're in a room for an hour and a half, and you're fixated in one place. The first diversion, the first thing that changes your focus, it's like an alert. It's like a wake-up. So I put myself on the dais. Everyone around the room turned and looked at me. Hence, those additional things happened. But also to Joe, I stood out because I was significant in convincing his number one banker to go to the bank. Post that time period, I asked Joe, if I didn't ask that first question, would you have thought of me for the board seat? 
And he said, you know what, Jeff? Probably not. But you're the master networker. You wrote the books. You're a real estate guy. You were the perfect guy. But I probably would not have thought of you. But then I really thought about it. Why did this opportunity happen? If I rewind the tape, when Cliff lost his nephew, and I did what I did, I became so significant to him in his life that he called me when he had to make the life decision. So when you do good things, good things happen. Yes, a little bit of a long story, but kind of a meaningful one. Well, that's one heck of a story. <laughs> you know, it's a good, good story, right? It's a hell of a story. That's what I was talking about. I you probably have a, a war chest of stories like that. Quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Do you attribute that story or that experience to just the kind of guy that you are? Or I'm sure you've analyzed this seven ways to Sunday. I guess to a certain degree, yes. I mean, there are three types of people out there. There are givers, and there are people called takers, and there's someone in the middle called matchers. That Those are people that if I do for you, you do for me. I'm a giver, and that's a strength and sometimes a weakness, but I always like to make a difference, and I know people say very nice things about me, and some of these most bizarre things have happened because I just constantly think about creating connectivity for people or helping people. And it just works real well for me. Is that something that's just natural for you or something that you work on? Is it a skill that you've developed through the years consciously? I think your makeup either is positive to that or not. Mm -hmm. Because some people, unfortunately, and I'm sure we all know them, people that are, it's all about me. It's all about me. They could care less about you. And it's ostensibly obvious. You know, I'm the other way around. Always like, I just, that's the way I think. And what has happened over the years I just come up with these ideas. I just come up with these things. I got a great idea. I'm going to create the dinner of eight, or I'm going to do an entrepreneur in transition luncheon and press a button to my database and hundreds of people respond. And I just create connectivity all, all over the place. And from my perspective, I'm meeting great people. And you never know what the next opportunity that comes to you when you meet people. So for those who don't know who the dinner of eight is, do you mind elaborating? So I do this event and I typically do it with somebody. And let's say I go to somebody and I say to them, okay, look, you bring four people, I bring four people, we got a private room in a restaurant. Criteria, it's got to be somebody that's an achieved person, somebody that's a CEO of a company, somebody that's sold their business, somebody who's an expert on something that would be really interesting to hear. And you bring four, I bring four. We're not selling anything. We're not charging anything. You and I are going to pick up dinner. I'll run the dinner. But everyone that comes, again, has to be achieved, and we get everybody's bios beforehand. And we email everyone coming, everyone coming before they come. So you know who's there. And I run this thing and we sit there, we drink wine, everybody's relaxed. And by example, to get people to speak or to get them to say things that are important to hear, you got to lead them to the water. So I'll give you an example just quickly. The last one I did, which I did in Florida, I had one of my investors, a good friend, whose name is Doug. Doug is a really great guy. He started Crunch the Gyms and sold to Equinox. He's one of the first movers in a place called Midwood in Miami. That's a whole design district. And he owns property all over. He bought it totally at the right time. So everything Doug touches, he's got the golden touch. And so Doug, five years ago, tells me a story about his son who went to the pediatrician and had a sinus condition that just wouldn't go away. And the pediatrician became very frustrated. And Doug's wife, who's Swedish, took his son to Sweden to visit the family. They had an over-the-counter product that addressed sinus conditions and it cured him. It was, he was great. She brings a bunch of these things back to the States and he goes to the pediatrician for a checkup and the pediatrician says, wow, you got better. Thank goodness. She says, well, I have this product from Sweden. What type of product? So she shows him. She says, do you have some extra ones? 
She gives the pediatrician some of these things. Pediatrician calls her like some short period of time thereafter. Where do you get this? How do I get this? This is really incredible. She says, well, you can't. It's not here in the States. So she tells Doug the story. Doug calls the pediatrician. I, I would buy this in a second. You have to get this. Doug calls the company in Sweden, flies there, and for like $10,000 buys the U.S. rights to this product. Fast forward five years later, he sold the company for $60 million. So at the dinner, we're sitting there, and I turn to everybody, and we're sitting having a good time, and I look. No one knows what I'm going to do, and I turn to Doug first. I said, I want you to meet my good buddy, Doug Levine. Aside from that, he invests with me, and we do transactions. Midas Touch started crunch with, I think it was $10,000, sold it to Equinox for a lot of money. Big mover in the real estate market in the hot area, the design district, the art district, rather. But you know what? Doug, tell him about the sinus condition. Everyone's looking, what is he going to talk? And he tells that story. So basically, I take everybody at the table and I bring them to a point where when they talk, they're talking about things people, what people want to hear. They don't say, well, I grew up in the Bronx and I had six children and my sister. No one wants to hear that. They want to understand what your strengths are, what you've achieved, what you know. And that's what I do with everyone in the room. And by the end of the dinner, everybody's clapping. It's like a powerful thing. What about for people that are listening and they want to start their own dinner or they get invited to a dinner like this? What advice would you give them? Well, start your own dinner is a great move and anybody can do it. I mean, you also have to have the, the thinking about what do you do when you do it and whether in fact you're willing to pay for it or have everyone contribute. There's no set rules. But if you did it with somebody else and, the, and you create a criteria that's relevant to you as the type of people that you want to meet, you're meeting new people, that you, new relationships. And you do it, it, whatever works for you, in a place that's private and quiet and you know you run the dinner. You get people to talk about themselves you beat yourself stand out. It's all about standing out. And when you do something like that, it's unique. Well, you've always been a pioneer in a lot of different ways, whether it's writing books, starting businesses. Do you want to talk about some of the books that you've written and are writing? So I've, I've written two. I'm currently writing my third. The first book, the title is called One Phone Call Away, Secrets of a Master Networker. And the second book is called The Opportunity Magnet. And those books are, you know, about this word networking or putting people together and I share the anecdotes and stories, some of which I did already today. The things I do, I created an organization called the Strategic Forum that has a chapter here in New York City and one in South Florida because I'm in both places. And it's extremely powerful, a high-level networking group. And we do all sorts of very unusual things in that organization. The book I'm writing now is on a different subject matter. And it's something that's relevant to everybody. Not that networking isn't because it is. But this is relevant in a different respect in that the title is Trust is a double-edged sword. And the tagline, trust me. Now, if you think about the word and, you know, well, what, what's trust? But you know what? Trust is something that's the pillar of our lives. It's the core of everything. It's either something that's brought us great joy or true unhappiness or where you've been mistreated. And you think about all the various aspects of trust throughout our entire lives, the meaningfulness of it. And wouldn't it be great if it, all our relationships was implicit trust? Unfortunately, something really bad happened to me recently, which is the catalyst for me writing this book. And I sort of reflect on the mistakes that I've made in that I am too trusting. Being a giver, it's sort of catty-cornered to being trusting. And so what I'm trying to do now is not write a book about self-help book. I want to write a book about people sharing things that are meaningful that we all need to learn. And it's by actual experiences and things that happen, perspectives that are shared by a lot of people could be very meaningful for those who read this book. So by example, one of the chapters in this book is going to be called 30 plus. 
And that's a chapter about people that married 30 years that are happy. How do they do it? What do they do when they have issues? What are they willing to share in terms of how they work as a team? And by the way, team is not a word. Team is an acronym. Together, everyone achieves more. What do they do? How do they stick together? And is this person your best friend, partner, soulmate, tied to the hip? That knowledge, if I can get four, three, four interviews from people that can really share that, I'm going to tell anyone 21, 22, this thing about getting married, they have to read that chapter. So that's what this book's about. I mean, there's much more to the trust factor, but it's about sharing and insights based upon people's lives. And I'm telling this to you because if there's something that you'd like to share, there's the gamut of the information this book's going to be very wide. I invite you to reach out to us. Trust is a double-edged sword at gmail.com. For anyone that's interested in participating, their thoughts, their ideas, their contributions, uh, more than welcome it. Anything in particular that you, I mean, you have no shortage of contacts or friends and stories. Is there any subject matter around trust in particular that you'd love to get an anecdote or some type of story about? I mean, look, the subject matter is so large. I mean, there's trust, distrust in business. The same in personal relationships, violations of things that have happened. I mean, some of the stories are incredible. I was speaking before about writing a chapter about what is a true friend? What does that really mean? What are the characteristics of someone that's a true friend? And I started thinking about some things that are, talk about trust and true friends. They go hand in hand. How about the guy that's willing to jump on a hand grenade to save his co-men in the army or whatever the division they're in, to save their lives, sacrifice his life, and then he doesn't even actually know them? I mean, how special... What is that person thinking in terms of the trust amongst its allies? So you start thinking about this in depth. It, it's really, whatever I think it is, it's going to be a lot more expansive because there's a project I just started working on. It's probably taking me about a year to finish this book. But I'm in chapter three, so it's moving along pretty good. Sounds very soul-searching. It's very soul-searching. Yeah. And it, what have been some of your takeaways from this thus far? Meaning, if, before you answer that, so you went in with one idea of what this book was going to be. How has it changed, if at all? It's just getting deeper. It's becoming, because I'm speaking to people and I'm getting insights from others' perspectives, which is what I'm inviting other people to do the same. Because, look, I hardly know everything and I know probably very little compared to the, I mean, think how big the world is. And there are just so many things that could be said to talk to this. I was just listening to a TED Talk that was given by one of the founders of, of Airbnb. Multi-billion dollar company now. People are letting people live in their houses they don't know. Granted, they're getting paid to do so, but it's very personal coming to someone's home. Your bathroom, your personal things are out there. And yet this is caught on. Talk about a trust to strangers. And I'm going to talk about that in the book because it's actually it's something that changed the way things are done. And so interestingly enough, this subject matter and to talk to it, things change. And I, you know, so I might come at it from that perspective. What does trust mean to you? It means something to me to the extent that I'd love to be implicitly feel trust for everybody. And it's just completely unrealistic. I feel that the pain that I have and the hurt that I feel because I trusted the wrong people makes me feel like I'm a fool and stupid, honestly, because I, to some extent, went against my instincts. One, because I didn't want to have confrontation. But two, I just kind of was irresponsible to my own well-being. And now I'm paying the price for it. So for me, to some extent, this is a, a release, writing this book. For some of it is, is soothing my emotions. I'm becoming preoccupied the, into the depth of this. Not that it's self-help, but it's self-awareness. 
And while I'm trying to impart that in the writing, I'm trying to do the very same for myself. Mm, seems very cathartic. It's extremely cathartic. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, I, I had my son last night sitting at Benjamin, you got to read this. I said, what do you think? What do you think? And Dad, this is really good. In fact, I, I'm going to have a chapter in the book, I, this is my, yesterday's idea, about millennials. What's trust to them? What do they know? You know, I walked down the aisle and I got married and I didn't even think about the word trust. I knew I was probably making a mistake the person I was marrying. In fact, I did get divorced, but it didn't even enter into my mind. I, it didn't even, wasn't like the factor of, which is a pillar of your marriage. I didn't even think about it. Mm. How old were you when you were married? got married? 31. You were. Gotcha. That's a, a somewhat of a mature age to be getting married. So imagine if you're in your 20s. Do you think you actually think about trust when you're going yeah, down the aisle? It's crazy. I got married at 26, and I guess I, I didn't, you know, but I'm still married, but I hear you. That's a pill. I mean, my wife and I just had a conversation about that two weeks ago, literally almost to the day, just about how trust is paramount. And that's something that we tell our kids that regardless of everything else, the trust is the foundation. It's the core. Yeah. It is truly, truly the core. Yeah. I mean, if you sit down, for those of you listening to this. Or watching. Go, watching this. And you self-reflect about your own life and your own relationships. And if I'm hitting a nerve, well, that's clearly my intention. That's what this book is about. It's about making awareness paramount about making better decisions and maybe having a higher degree of sensitivity that you're just not focusing. Mm. So trust is at the corner of not just, I think that's the pillar of networking, but getting to the ability to be able to trust somebody because when you have that trust that expedites the outcomes of things that you're looking for whether it's a deal you get an introduction because it's that trust is transferable so to me it's, it's teaching people how to build these relationships so you can get to trust so there's a little bit of a conflict there because if like in my case i literally have fourteen thousand people in my personal database and i'm literally putting people together all the time i don't know people well enough most of the time where the word trust is in the vocabulary. I might meet somebody that very bright, like them, very accomplished. And on that criteria, and I met them through somebody, I'll introduce them to somebody else. Not because I trust them so much. I'm just impressed by who they are. And again, I'm just trying to help people by putting them together. Trust comes with time. It's just not an ephemeral thing. It takes time for it to be earned. And it's earned. So you touched on something I'd love for you to elaborate if you could, because a lot of times I see a lot of people are either trepidatious to make an introduction because they are so untrustworthy. And then at the same time, some people are just quick to just make an introduction. So if you don't mind, kind of put me through the thought process and to help other people to understand that it is okay sometimes, like you said, you meet someone, you get a good vibe on them, as long as you kind of lay out the parameters. Like, hey, I just met David. He came through a good channel. I really liked him. I get a good vibe, you know. So to, you well, want. to that point, there's always risk to everything that we do in life, right? So depending on who that person is that you're meeting and, and that you're going to make an introduction, I mean, sometimes you just know based upon the person's reputation or you've heard about the person for a long time, it's not necessary to say what I'm about to tell you to say. But if you meet somebody that you just don't know well, and that there's a, the possibility that, as an example, there's an investment mode by creating an introduction, whoever you're introducing that person to, you just simply say, I just met this person. I was very impressed by them. He spoke well. I, I like what he had to say, but I just want to be clear, I don't know him well. So if you're going to do something, the Latin term, caveat emptor, it means let the buyer beware, but I just think there's a, a strong possibility. So there's always a way of saying things. Mm. 
Yeah. And then have you had situations where you have made introductions and it's just come back to bite you? Over the years, without question. I mean, yeah. there's, there's been situations where it didn't work or there was a problem. But again, I didn't put myself in a position where I was really in harm's way by making the introduction yeah. because you have to do your own due diligence if you're going to do business with people. But I think nine out of 10, rather 99 out of 100 would rather have the introduction than not. Correct. And that's the point, actually. That's one of the biggest points that I do make is, again, it's up to you. We're all grown at this point. Make that decision you for yourself. You have to take responsibility for yourself Correct. without question. So do you see, though, a lot of people that are that could be making other introductions for people and they do not do so? And if so, why do you think that is? And what can we do to get other people to be more giving in terms of their connections and relationships? Again, it goes back to the three types of people, givers, takers, or matchers. But for givers, typically that's not an issue. Takers, they just don't have an interest. It's all about themselves, Mm -hmm. and that's where it goes. But then there are those that are uneducated. You know, consider that this term networking and what it is. There are no courses taught in university. And there's literally, we learn all these courses, most of which have no practicality from in the real world. Yes, it stimulates your brain. Yes, you become more knowledgeable. But wouldn't you think that there would be formal education about probably the most important thing in business that people don't learn? How many of you actually take a business card when you meet a person and memorialize that card in your database, Mm. how you met them, through who, the date you met them? How many of you do that? And or the industry they're in or other observations that you had in conversation and put them in, in a category so that you could find them, that you create the ability to come back to people. From what I'm told, 99% of the world doesn't even put them in their database. How silly is that? Why even take the card? The reality is if you become disciplined about this, you're one phone call away from a possibility of something really happening that's meaningful to you. I love the name of that book, by the way. And that was, yeah, it was a great book. Do you know that I had a fight? Penguin was the publisher on that book and they fought me on that title. I said, guys, I don't know. I said, are you kidding me? That's a great title. What is more spot on? And I literally had to, like, with a heated conversation, they finally seated. Were they pushing for? They didn't come up with an alternative. They just didn't like that. Interesting. Uh, That was actually one of the things that stood out for me, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's interesting. And the book was great. As I was reading it, I'm like, almost verbatim from things that I talk about. I mean, it's gospel. It's kind of, to some extent, common sense, but it's also a mantra the way you live. The strategic forum, which I brought up before, we have our meetings at the Nova University Business School in Fort Lauderdale, and they gave us this giant conference room for free for us to have our meetings. And typically we have 35, 40 people attend. We have four or five guests that present for 20 minutes of who they are. But the reason that the university did this, the deal we cut with them is that the students every semester rotate in terms of occupants in the room. We have maybe a dozen to 15 students that sit against the wall and listen to successful business people present what their company is about, what they need, insights into their industry. And these kids wind up getting internships, jobs, and most importantly, insight. Not theory, practical insight. Mm -hmm. In fact, after the meeting, board members then have a private meeting with the students to take their thoughts and insights as to what they felt and what they learned and have an extensive discussion about what they thought about the speakers. There are plaques in this university commemorating the strategic forum, and there's no other university in the country that does this. That's fantastic. How long have you guys been doing that for? They're 15 years. 15 years. Any good stories? So some of the kids that have matriculated through, I've got to assume, are executives or entrepreneurs at this point. (laughs) 
Well, the funny part, I mean, I, there are so many stories. When my first, a lot of those kids wind up getting jobs and internships, uh, have been helped. They've gotten involved in companies that, that, that have come out of the strategic forum. But a good one was when I, my first book came out, I did a speaking gig down at NYU, which is my alma mater. And a, this young girl comes running up to me. She's in the, runs the finance committee. And she was so taken by the book, da, da, da. And she, and I liked her a lot. And it turns out she just was graduating at the end of that year. And she came to me and she was looking for something. I said, look, you know, I need a facilitator for the strategic forum in New York. Would you like to come help run the meetings and you'll meet all these people? And she did. And she wound up going into business. She wound up starting a shoe company, sandal company that some of the members, we had the former president Macy's as a member. They got her into proper production, got her into stores. And now she's created something called the strategic exchange, which is for the demographic, you know, younger than I. And she's got 25 members and she runs her own group. And it's changed her life. Wow. And is that in New York? That's in New York. And, and how long ago was that? That's probably seven years ago. Is that stat? It's still going. It's still going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a lot of those types of stories. I've got a lot of those types of stories. So what are the things that you're trying to impart with some of the people that are going through this program? Are they more just to be flies on the wall? Or is there some form of curriculum that you're trying to drive into their heads to impart so they can take that into the real world? You're talking about the students? Yeah, the students, sorry. The reality is that education comes in a lot of different forms. We go to school, read textbooks, and... We get jobs and everything is a learning experience for these kids and to sit there and hear from the founder of Arizona Ice Tea how they started that company or how Zumba, the dance class, started with someone just walking by a window watching a, a class being done and it's, this guy's really good. I mean, the stories are endless of things that we all know of brands or things that are out there that just happen somehow. And to hear those stories and know those people is life-changing. Yeah, I mean, there are so many good takeaways from the book. A great quote you had was, don't change who you are, change the way that you think. And the mindset is so powerful. We were talking about that a little bit at lunch. I mean, that's, from my perspective, it kind of that's where it all starts. One of the things, I'll just share this because I think this is important. I always am a big believer for kids finishing high school or just about to go to college. They must get a retail job. Must, must get a fan of retail. Would you consider restaurant work retail? Totally perfect type job. Yeah. Why? Because the gift of gab and the confidence of the way you speak is accelerated or happens because you have a retail job. To learn, to judge, to see someone, to talk to them, to feel them, to be able to tell when someone's not nice. Or how do you handle someone that's not nice? I gave my niece, I got her a job in a prominent restaurant in South Beach. Her mother was very against her being a waitress. I said, this is the best thing that could happen to her. This is the best thing. She'll learn how people are. I said, your goal is to get the most tips you can. How do you do that? You always are polite. You're always nice. If someone's nasty, just always take the high road. But you'll learn. And it really made a difference in her life. I wholeheartedly agree. The best experience I had was working in a five-star restaurant when I was 13, 14 years old, just being abused. Right. To be honest, like in learning manners, seeing how people... You also build confidence. Oh, yeah. And that's, by the way, extremely important because if you don't have confidence then people are not going to be confident in you. Yeah, no, I, I, there's so many takeaways. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen, also, again, it's really interesting. So a business that I had about 10 years ago, we had hired a consultant, a guy that had built lots of businesses all over the world, consulting all over the world. And when we were trying to hire, he says the best places to pull people out of are retail, hands down retail. You can mold them. They're moldable. They're hungry. If they're working in retail, that they're going to be a little more appreciative also. <laughs> 
So they're also more confident. Yeah. That's really a key variable of working in retail. Yeah. So when did this come to you? When you, at what point, or did someone impart that? Well, because when I started working when I was in ninth grade, I wound up working for an electronics store on uh, Madison Avenue for their Syrians. They kind of run their stores a little different than conventional stores in that they have no fixed prices. And so you have to judge your customer. I forgot about that. And it was actually, I, mean, I have some funny stories here, but it was literally, you knew what things cost because they had a code on the back. And the idea was to get the highest price you could. And you, there was no rules. So to work in that type of environment, aside from the funny things that happen, I've got some real funny stories, is you have to use your brain and you have to judge people. As a kid, which is when it started for me, it was like a test, how far could I go? I mean, I once sold somebody their own camera. I'm not proud of it, but I, I literally did. How do you, you can't let that one go by and not tell the I story. Gotta tell that yeah, story. You gotta tell that one. So someone buys a camera in the store, and this is the other store, which would happen to be in Penn Station, and they were not happy with it. It was uh, one of those automatic cameras. At the time, they were called SX-70s, and the guy brings it back to the store. It's brand new in the box. I don't like it. It's not working. Now, I didn't sell it to him, but he bought it two days prior from someone else in the store. So I said, let me take a look. So I take it out. Take it. it was fine. I don't want that camera. I want another camera. I said, well, you know, you just got the other. I don't care. I said, well, I don't see an issue with that. I'm going to have to charge you $25 to give you a new camera. So he said, okay. Now, I'm not proud about the story. I said, okay. So I give the camera, the one he returned to my associate that was in the store. And I said, take this, bring out another camera. And this is how these stores operate. My associate went in the back, put the camera in another box, looked like a different box, put tape on it, brought it back out, charged him $25. It was the same camera. We opened the box, take it out, take a picture, and he was happy. With the, <laughs> with the same camera. It's the way it used to be. Is this, so, the, is this the same place, the Syrian-run yeah. place? Yes. That was in Penn Station? That one was in Penn Interesting. Station. Interesting. Good stuff. So talk to me. You were mentioned stuff that was really important, and you said it kind of quick about taking um, with people's business cards and taking the notes and writing on them. Was that something that you, again, that you just did on your own or someone shared that with you? And what has been the benefit of you doing that? Because it just takes a couple minutes. Right. I could go into my database and type in a certain expertise or skill set and a hundred different people pop up because I took the time to create content, valuable content. I could find people that I need that I met a long time ago that I wouldn't have remembered because I've not only memorialized their name and contact information, I memorialized their skill sets and what they do. I was involved in an organization where I was asked to build something, the company organization called Tiger 21, and I was building a group of people, and they're a very over-the-top, powerful organization, and I had certain qualification of people that could become members. So I sent an email blast out to my membership, yeah, to my database, rather, explaining what the organization's about, and if you're interested, da-da-da, and people started responding. And I would obviously respond back. In one case, I went to meet this gentleman in Florida who was very interested in becoming a member. And I remembered his name, but I didn't remember him well. So I looked at what I had written in the notes section about him. And so I go have lunch with him, and I'm sitting there, and I look at him and I said, Bob, do you remember me? And he looks at me and he says, no. I said, he says, Jeff, how do I know you? I said, this happened, by the way, about six months ago. I met you um, March 3rd, 2001, at Howard Tanney's daughter's bat mitzvah. And you were doing this, doing that, doing that. And he looked at me like his face dropped that I had that information. How's Howard? I said, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. We got into this whole conversation about Howard. And that would not have happened had you not taken just a couple minutes. Right. 
to write this down. Right. So you also mentioned business cards. Can you explain? I love your business card. And I actually just did. I've got a course coming out and I dedicate a, a section to business cards. And I wish that I had met you prior to this course coming out because I talk about some interesting business cards. So for example, the restaurant where we just came from, the gentleman who you met, Mario, who owns that restaurant, his business card is actually, he hands, I, I wish I might have it in here, but he hands out a really nice book of matches and they're like wood quality matches. That's his business card. Had a gentleman named Wayne Kimmel on the show a couple months back, and Wayne is the CEO or, or the founder of 76 Capital. It's a venture capital firm, and he was the original investor in uh, Seamless Web, Grubhub. And his card, it's a, a thing of mints. And I love that, these little things that stand out. So if you don't mind, explain your business card. Well, that talks to the title of my second book, which is called The Opportunity Magnet. And again, it's about standing out and making yourself unique from those around you. So by example, the card that we're talking about is a little bit on the large side. In fact, a little bit, <laughs> well, I said a little bit, yeah. it's big and I'm big enough. You can put it in your pocket, of course, but it's, I get jokes about it being a, what do you call those things? A, a, a doyle, coast, uh, like it could be a coast. I, you know, once yeah, while I get a yeah. joke about that, yeah. but when I give it to somebody, Fine, it works, <laughs> it, it, it does. Whenever I give the card to someone, it always evokes a comment. And when they evokes the comment, then I explain, well, you know, I'm a networking guy. I wrote the books about this stuff. And then I said, but more importantly, you're at this cocktail party tonight. And you may go home, if you talk to enough people, 10 cards. 10 cards. Who are you going to remember? I'm with you. So Big fan. There, there <laughs> yeah, you go. I, I really like go. that. Are there other things that you do to stand out? Or are you at a point now, I guess, where people are coming to you? But what did you do to build the network, to build these relationships throughout the years that you have built? Listen. Mm. I listen. I listen. I don't talk. And it's not about me. I mean, it's not like I'm telling you I'm the greatest. I don't need to impress anybody. I listen to what people tell me, and I try to make a difference. And that's the recipe for me. And it's worked. I mean, it's worked really well. It's worked badly from the point of that I've gotten hurt and disappointed in certain things because I trust too much. So, you know, I got to learn a little bit. So that's why your input's really important. That's why <laughs> I'm saying to you, you got that email address. I'd really love to hear your comments and ideas and thoughts and anything you'd like to contribute would be very much appreciated. But sometimes your strength is your weakness. And sometimes that's my reality. No. What, what does networking mean to you? I don't even like the word networking. Me neither. Happy to hear that. Keep going. <laughs> in fact, I've, I've spoken in front of hundreds of people and I've always challenged the room. I look at the room and sometimes when I speak and I tell these stories, anecdotes of things that have happened, I say, I, say, I don't really like this word. I say, I, there are hundreds and some odd people here. Anyone got an idea for another word? And people, sometimes I get reactions and no one's really come up with these. So I came up with my own word. And it's not a word, but it would be great if it was a word. What do you think about help others? Like as a one word, help others. <laughs> you got, I'm a, maybe you should put that on your, oh, I forgot the name of what it's called, your word of the day. I could do that. So talk about word of the day. Well, I, I want to talk about I, that. I want to talk about word of the day. All right, let's do it. So, so <laughs> a little embarrassing, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. When I was in 10th grade, I uh, developed this interest in words to the extent that every time I saw a word I didn't know, I would write it in this notebook with its associated definition. And for whatever reason, and this is the embarrassing part of the story, I had the notebook reside in my bathroom, which I have a tendency to be there sometimes. 
And over the years, <laughs> you're laughing, I inculcate, which means learn by frequent repetition, reading the words over and over again with the associated definitions. And it developed to the point where I have a pretty good vocabulary. I, I know a lot of words and I sometimes use them where people don't. As the years have gone by, I, it just became something very meaningful to me to the extent that I had my children start to adopt this. And I went through this really bad divorce. I was trying to build my son's self-esteem. I got him to start focusing on words. It took some time. And now he's got 2,000 words in his phone. He's, dad, what does this mean? Dad, dad, you know all the words. And he's like, he now at 22 is way ahead of his years because of the way he speaks, writes, and he's passionate about it. So my dear friend who uh, helps me in business and is part of what I'm doing came up with the idea of that, Jeff, you do this. Why don't we share this? And we first put something on LinkedIn, the word of the day, and we did it associated with my books. And now we send out an email Monday through Friday with a word, its definition, in context, and where the word came from. And more and more people are coming on, and it's fun. I get, I get feedback, people love it. And the interesting thing about words is that even the most simple words, you don't really know the definition. I mean, you'd be shocked. I mean, just simple words that you hear regularly. And I always attest on this word, which no one gets right. And you're going to know the word, but you're not. What does bereave mean? Mourn? Wrong. <laughs> That's typically what Aria says. It actually means deprived of. The bereaved are standing in the other room. They lost their relative who's in this room. Bereavement, like a bereavement, is people are deprived of the person that they lost. So it doesn't mean mourning. It means deprived of. So it's really the precision of words, knowing their definitions, and it's just a passion. And there's so many. I could sit here for a while talking about this, but I think you got the point. Did you get the word that I sent you? And then I guess that was going to be my next question, is do a lot of then other people start to contribute? Some of my friends send me words. They do. do. And I get some really cool words. There's just so many interesting words out there. I mean... One of my friends was very passionate about this. Once a month or two, he said, I got a great word for it. I got a great word. Check this one out. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It's interesting. So I don't know if this is because of that, but you don't really swear. Never. You do not swear. I don't. Is it because you realize that there's so many other words out there that it's so ignorant to swear? Well, it's interesting that you frame it that way. And this is just my point of view. So everyone has their own. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm right or wrong. What you say and the way you say it makes you either stand out or not. And if I can't express myself without using words that lower myself, then I'm not being smart. Swearing is a loss of composure. It indicates a degree of anger and really doesn't accomplish a lot other than make yourself sound hostile and and not in control. I don't use profanity, but interesting enough, since we're here, a lot of these words like are acronyms. Did you know that? A lot of swears are acronyms? There's, there, well, no. Do, like the word fuck, for example. Uh-huh. It's an acronym. Did you know that? No. What does it stand for? Well, there are two. The one that I believe is where it came from. It was uh, in the 1500s when a woman was raped in London. Oh, I did know I did hear this, yeah. They used to, st- Scott and Yard used to stamp the file F-U-C-K, which stands for For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Another one, which is not a curse word, shit is an acronym. What does it stand for? In the 1800s or before, when manure was transported on barges, manure, when you pile manure on top of itself, it becomes very hot. It becomes combustible. So we catch on fire. Learning the hard way, they ultimately realize that when you want to 
transport manure, store it high. Store high in transit. That's where it came from. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's funny. I, I was thinking about after we left a couple of weeks ago at your place, I was thinking, man, he must think I am so ignorant because I swear all the time. And it is. And it, it's I'm, a lack of... But I'm, I'm, very, but I'm very tolerant. Yeah, but, but it, uh, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. And I, I know when I hear people swear a lot, I think less of them. And here I am, I do the same thing. So I, I, since our conversation, I've been like cognizant. Is that true? Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Cause it's true. So I mean, it's really, it's a positive impression. You made a positive impression. Right, there you go. See, trust me. <laughs> trust me. Uh, <laughs> By the way, whenever someone says to you, trust me, don't trust me. Yeah. It's, oh, it's like, I love when people tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. So everything else they were saying before it's like, that. It's like my ex-partner that I'm now in litigation, stole all this money and he, Right before this whole thing's coming out, he puts his arm around me. He says, "I'm watching your back," and I just sing to myself, "Yeah, he's got a stiletto in the left hand." <laughs> oh man! So this book that you're that you're working on probably won't come out until 2020. It's not coming out for a year. You've got three chapters done. How many chapters are you looking to have? And is there a hard and fast rule when you're writing your books? There's no fat. No. no, it just I just do it. How will you know when it's done? It's a gut feeling. I think you know I, I made my point. I think there's enough in there from a content perspective that really is achieving the objective that I have, which is to create impact, to make people think and, and make a difference. So when I get to that point, it'll be done. Yeah. One thing back to the word of the day, what has that done for you from a business standpoint? Like, is it, has that turned into anything for you because it's a touch point? Everybody sees your name every day. Was there any of that behind this? So, so you just think about what you just said. When, if you're in front of people, I'm not selling anything. Sure. But every day, those who receive this from me see my name. What does that do? Well, you know, first of all, it's a positive impression to begin with. But aside from it being a positive impression, oh, you know, I should give Jeff a call. I got this thing that he might be interested in. Or, or it's a subliminal impression. Proximity is power. But I got a bunch of other questions, some random questions Go, for shoot, you. This shoot, is shoot. People, some of, the, some of the favorite parts of the show. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Give me uh, one out of 16. Pick a number. Seven. Seven. How has your life turned out differently than you had anticipated or expected it to have at this juncture in your life? Is there a starting point? Or I, don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You can answer that how you will. Well, I don't really think of it in, in regards to the framework of that question. I think of it more in the regards of where I'd like it to be okay. and what I'd like to accomplish. And for me, the voids are things that are, are meaningful I am divorced. For me, I said, would I get remarried? The answer is I would. I'm looking for my best friend, my soulmate, my team member, my ally, the person that makes me better than I am. That's something that I'd like to see happen. It's not happened to date. I've had a lot of relationships. So the voids are usually things that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And I just try to get smarter about achieving them. Interesting. One, two, 12. Give me a number. Two. Two. Can you think of something that has happened to you as a result of a relationship that you have or had, i.e. like you visit an amazing place and as a result meeting someone through a friend of a friend that influenced you to do something that you normally wouldn't have done? That's a mouthful. Are you able to follow that? <laughs> can, you, can you say that? Essentially. <laughs> yeah, right. I can barely say it the first time. So is there anything that you've done that as a result of meeting a friend or a friend of a friend that you wouldn't have done? Whether it's jumping out of a plane, for example. Maybe you wouldn't have done that, but as a result of meeting somebody. So, so you're suggesting it happened just at that time you met somebody? Or no, as a result of that relationship. Well, I would talk. The impact. 
I would talk back to the story about getting on the board of Signature Bank. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I didn't care about my friend and him losing his nephew and going out and doing what I did, the thing that ultimately had me landing on the board of Signature Bank would never have occurred. Yeah. What about people that maybe you've introduced to other people? Can you think of any outcomes of things that have transpired? As I mean, I know that probably just the Rolodex is probably spinning. I've created so many things for yeah. so many people. Yeah. And, you know, Do I people say thank you? Well, by the way, it's funny you, you say that because one of the things about the strategic forum is our meetings, which typically are two, two and a half hours and presentations and insights and things going on, it ends with the currency of the organization, hmm. which is a whole 15-minute section of thank yous. People, members, thank each other for the things they've done for each other. And it literally takes 15 minutes because there's so many things that happen. And any guest that's sitting there and watches that is blown away. Mm. So I get paid by, uh, or some of my clients, I should say, are networking groups. And so I go and I speak at these groups and I advise and I counsel and stuff. And I actually suggest that they start the conversation by doing that because again, it just, because sometimes people bring other guests or just, it just really gets the vibe or the energy going. So that's great that if it's comprising 15 minutes, it's that's a lot of, that's a lot of airtime. Because what I've done in creating this organization is try to inculcate. That the, was today's word. Wasn't well, it? it was just, it was start off the thing about boards yeah. and earlier on. But <laughs> I try to, you know, the, the philosophy, if you want to become a member of the strategic forum, you've got to buy into, it's not about me. It's not just about me. It's about you. And so we really try to bring, you just can't become a member. There's a process protocol, there's a board, and what we are about is what we want to stay. And so people that say that we'll do that, not to suggest that everyone follows through, mm-hmm. but it really, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Have you had to kick people out? Over the years, one or two people. And that's really? 20, 20 pretty, years. That's impressive. 20 years. Now, do you attribute that to the high bar to get in? Do you attribute that to the process that you've built? Do you attribute that to just the recruiting of these people? Well, throwing somebody out, it would only happen when someone does something really wrong. So I can only think of one instance where that occurred. Mm-hmm. I mean, people do not renew because a lot of people join thinking that this is about business generation. It is. It creates business. But it's not the modus operandi. It's about the relationships and time. And I don't even think about the amount of business I've gotten out of it. Yeah. I think about the power of what I've built. The reality is, how do you make yourself stand out? You have to do stuff out of the box. If you think about, and I'm not going to disparage any particular industry, but if I meet somebody and I'm at a cocktail party and I'm standing there and I'm having a glass of wine, and the guy next to me is having a glass of wine. I said, hi, I'm Jeff. How are you? What do you do? I'm an accountant. Oh, nice to meet you. If I was an accountant, not to suggest that's you know, an industry that I wouldn't be proud of being, I might say something to the effect, I specialize in financial disasters and I try to strain out companies that have serious accounting issues. That'd probably be a better way of like, when you have a 15, 20 second shot at creating an impression to lure someone to have a conversation with you. So all the things you do either make you stand out or not. And it's important to understand that. Mm, it's funny how few people get that. It's actually not funny. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's just like common sense is not so common and less okay. commonly practiced. Right. Give me a number between 17 to 29. Let's do 17. Okay, let's do it. What's something that you know a lot about, but don't necessarily have to be an expert in and could teach someone else? Well, I think I'm spending a little time here talking about that stuff, right? I guess I'm somewhat of an expert, I think, about the subject matter and, and how I feel about it and my experiences. Another thing that I become sort of a 
a maven or pretty knowledge about is divorce, unfortunately, because I went through the god-awful one and I built a company and a platform and a community to empower people, so I know a lot. So I get calls weekly from people asking me to sit down and talk to people because going through divorce, as some of you that are listening know, is one of the most god-awful experiences and can be devastating on so many levels. So I, again, try to help people. In fact, I had a story last week where that happened. Right, let's hear it. Okay, well, then, I'll, then I'll tell it. <laughs> but one of my investors, a good friend of mine, asked me to go meet a buddy of his who's not getting divorced yet, but it has a very, very difficult situation, and it's on the cuspus. And this gentleman is, I'd say, in his early 50s, two kids, and he's got just in an abusive marriage. The wife's family has a lot of money, and she's disrespectful to him. Things have happened that they've been married 16 years. For the last six, you know, she says, why don't you just leave? She just disparages him. And the family sort of circled around her. This gentleman practices law, and the family's very wealthy and a lot of real estate. They stopped using him as an attorney. So the telltale signs of what's happening are very clear. And he just, he doesn't have, he's not impactful and he's very weak and he just doesn't know what to do. And he's sitting there and I'm listening. And I, I guess they wanted, my friend wanted me to talk to him to impart wisdom. I, I don't know if wisdom is the right way to describe this. And I listened to the story and I looked at him. And I said, look, life is not a dress rehearsal. It goes very fast. And everything you're telling me, I mean, if her family, you're doing their legal work, they cut you off. It's kind of saying something here. Right, you know, the family's going away. And she says, you don't have to come. I mean, either you step up and stand up and you really fight for what you want, or if you're afraid to face the reality of what's inevitable, you're eating yourself up and making yourself sick and being degraded that way. You're not going to get anywhere. I said, I'll tell you what, you can call me anytime. We can brainstorm. But either you take control and step up. And, and if she's not going to be proselytized to be someone that really cares and loves you, respects you, then what are you doing? What are you doing? And he sat there and you could see he's just, he just doesn't know what to do because he's scared. Mm. So what has been some of the outcomes of divorce force? <sighs> Helped a lot of people. Yeah. Put people together that have commonality. I've done events where I've had people similar to themselves air their thoughts, talk about their issues, brainstorm. I found in my case, I learned probably one of the most important things about my divorce, not from my attorney, but somebody like me someone that had similar demographic to me, another guy that owned his own business, had a couple of kids. I learned something that was so incredibly meaningful because I met someone like me. So that, that was the intention of creating people that could help each other based upon their experiences that are objective. Matrimonial attorneys, and I have a kind of a negative view about matrimonial law because by its very nature, it's a conflict of interest. They're about driving fees and we're looking to get it over with. So they look at it from a process oriented and I'm a business person, I'm a human being that's got issues and they're just, they're just going full guns. I might have to like my attorney, by the way, but I've really seen the other extreme. This is not an exaggeration. My ex-wife went, is on her 19th attorney. I can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. Oh God. All right. 30 to 59. 57. 57. You know what? It's actually telling me a good story and you've already loaded me with some good ones. So I'm going to go with 56. What was the highlight? of your week this past week. i guess we'll have to go past because it's monday <laughs> unless you've got a highlight the highlight i think i told this story at lunch so i have this business with my son in florida which started as a mistake and he's 22 and good really proud of him and uh, it's a high-end luxury car rental business it comes out of uh, we reside in the icon in south beach and we have all these cars he's 22 he's running this business it's going really great 
And he's lived a hard life because he's gone through this horrible divorce. And the kid is just tremendous. He's got a big vocabulary and he handles himself. He's way more ahead of his years than he actually is of his years. He was talking to me the other day. One of our cars went down and went to a, got into a bad accident. It was a Lamborghini Urus. And it's been out of commission since the beginning of May. And he turned to me and he said over the weekend, Dad, I, I calculated how much we've missed in revenues because this car is killing it. And I really started to get upset, but I didn't get upset. I wouldn't let myself get upset because you've taught me I'm not going to get upset about something that I can't control. 22 years old. Sounds like an old soul. Well, he's mature ahead of it. But you know, that, that goes back to another statement, which is true. And we had this, this before. Out of adversity, you build strength. For me, that's the way my life's been. I'm sure that everybody has those stories as well. Yeah, I love the saying, when you're in hell, uh, just keep on going. <laughs> you got to keep, keep on going, without question. <laughs> well, Jeff, is there anything that we have not covered? No, I think we did a pretty good job here. And uh, again, if anyone would like to contribute to uh, trust is, is a double-edged sword, you, you now have the email address. I'll put it in the show notes too. Thank and, you. Yeah. And uh, appreciate you guys hearing me out. Yeah. I look forward to the book. I look forward to pointing people your way. Thank you. I appreciate you coming into town, having some lunch, enjoying some good chat. Well, thank you for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you got to tell me how I can help you as well. Oh, man. So introducing me just to good people. Good people know good people. Okay. And that's it. You surround yourself with enough good people. Okay. And I like to be able to just to contribute value to them also. And we'll talk about it more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I cool. appreciate you coming on. My thank pleasure. You. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.